And everywhere Zach went, he was sure to tell them about his best friend, Jesus. Why? Because Jesus brought change into his life. That's why. We're going to talk about that today. Let me just say something about Zach before I go any further, because I won't get to it later in the sermon. Zach is short for Zacchaeus. That's where we are in the book of Luke. Um, the early church fathers tells us that Zacchaeus had given up his tax collecting, because that's what we're going to find out he did, and he became a pastor. became a very prominent leader in the Christian community. You see, you saw a cartoon, because I wanted you to catch this before I looked at the Scripture. But I want you to know, every word Zach went, he would tell them about his friend, Jesus. His friend. Friend. Why? Because his friend changed his life. This is the last Sunday, or well, it's the end of the month. Once a month, we do something here at Connection, what we call Touch Someone's Life Gift. We're going to pass some popcorn bags, okay? We don't, we don't pass. We have some new people here. We don't pass anything for offering. We started when we started. We did that for a few months, I think. And we decided, now nah, we just put a container. People will give in the container. God speaks. Uh, I know some of you forget, but that's between you and God, say. But... Uh, uh, we do once a month, we pass in these popcorn bags, and what we're going to do, the money that's put in the popcorn bag, we're going, in the bags, uh, will be counted by our lead team, and then at the end of worship, they will come back in, and don't you guys let me forget that, and say, hey, let's have our prayer and go. One of you say, wait a minute, okay? But uh, we're going to give that money to somebody here, okay? And it's not for you to keep, it's for you to take then this week, and you give it to somebody. And you just, you just tell them, and, and I've got a couple sheets of, of, or a half sheet of instructions that I give, okay? And, uh, and I'll give you that, and pull them out now so I don't forget that, and I'll, I'll give you that, and it just sort of helps you understand what to do with this, but you just tell them, Connection is just a church that wants to let people know. Well, you don't even tell them, you just say, our church, we try not even say Connection unless they ask you a question. We're not looking for any glory in this. We just want people to be surprised and feel the love of God when they don't expect it. Okay? And, and really, I'm not concerned that you put a lot of money in there. I've said quarters, dollars. Some of you will put more. You do because you, you, you're caught up with this. Uh, if you didn't read in the worship handout, uh, the two stories from last month of the people that, that gave this gift away. And... Uh, you can read their story. Please don't do it now. I'm going to preach, okay? But uh, uh, you, can, you, can, you can read that and you can see. And I always share those stories through our community email that I mail out. And then I always try to put them in the, the worship handout so you can know that, say. And, uh, uh, but it's touched lives. So we're going to pass those bags. Just wait a minute. Just a little bit. Let me say this. Those bags get passed. Maybe in your life. And, and, and so we don't know how to control this. And I don't want to. When the lead team talked about doing this, we said we've got to just try to let God have control. Not us monitoring. Somebody said, oh, so I misuse it. Well, 
But if that bag passes you and, man, you don't have enough money for something and you need to take out $10, $20, just reach in there. I know that that's going to be sort of hard, but you know you're at the end and you have to do that for a very necessary thing. Not just for something to, to go do. Then by all means, I invite you to do that. I know I take a little bit of boldness, but it may be just exactly how God wanted you to get that last $10, $15, $20 that you needed to take care of that thing. Okay? So I'd like you guys to pass those bags if you would. They're going to pass it down and you just pass them across. And uh, while they do that, I'm going to go on start the sermon. Let me ask you this. Do you think or do you believe that people who do terrible behavior can change? Do you believe that people who do bad things to you can change? For my... 40 years of being in the pastorate, I've come to the place that I think most people in our world understand. In Jefferson County alone, there's 30,000 people if, if, if we get three to 4,000 in church on a Sunday. In all the churches. We probably have... That's probably a high number. I know that, that blows your mind. We're a large church in Jefferson County. There are 75 people or less that will be in most of the churches, and most of them won't even be 75 people. I'm not trying to evaluate those churches. I'm just telling you. Because you say, oh, 4,000, 5,000? No. 25,000 people won't be in church in Jefferson County on Sunday morning. Now, multiply that because our county, we reach people in other counties too. And so in my 40 years, I have come to the place that I believe most people have decided in their minds that somebody who does something bad cannot change. And I want to say this, that's a dangerous place to be. That's a dangerous place to allow yourself to go. If you were here for the first video, the man with the stethoscope, he put it on, on different things and he heard the music that goes with those things. Remember? Remember when he put it on the fire plug? Who lit the dogs up? Okay? And then he put it on his heart. Hallelujah! I believe this. If we're not careful and we get to the place that we do not believe people who do terrible things can change, we tend to hear the wrong things. And I'm not saying people shouldn't be accountable for wrong behavior. We're going to be in the 20th chapter of Luke. Just three chapters earlier, and whenever I preached on that, the warning was that when somebody does something from Jesus, when somebody does something that's wrong, rebuke the person. Jesus never said people aren't accountable. And when we did that sermon, I talked about that and what Jesus said in that passage. Today, in the life of Jesus, we're going to see His encounter and we're going to see what He demonstrates to us when we're in the presence of people who do bad things. 
So if you have your Bibles, I said the 20th chapter, it's the 19th chapter, I'm sorry, turn to Luke, the 19th chapter. I would encourage you to bring your Bibles because I will ask you to underline things. And you may say, well, why that? Because I want you to read your Bibles later this week or, or six months from now, and that underlined portion will help you understand that passage because many of us have trouble. We, we hear a sermon that well, I want to remember that, and we forget it. And so I really try to strategically suggest you circle or underline things that I think in six months or two years, if you read it again, will help you. I really believe if you take your, your worship hand out, because there's a page where we're going to fill in some blanks, and you, you take the Scripture and you read it this week, and read the underline, and and follow this again, God will speak to you even probably greater than in this, because right now, your emotions may think of a lot of things, but when you get alone, God can work through those, and get to your heart. And that's where you're always trying to get. He's trying to get to your heart. Okay? And the heart is not the blood pumping chamber. Even though in that video, He held that stethoscope to His chest. In both Old and New Testament, the heart is the decision-making process in the human being. He should have held that up here. And that's where God's trying to get. He's trying to get to your mind. Because He says, I will transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Go stop and think. There's 25,000 people who are not hearing anything about God today, just in Jefferson County. And many of them have already decided about life. You, thank you, thank you. You have exposed yourself, exposed yourself to the teachings of Jesus Christ. That will transform you into a new person if you haven't got that dangerous place where you refuse to hear what His words and His actions say. So, Luke 19, you can look on the screen if you want to in a little bit. But let me say this. In the 18th chapter, in the 35th verse, that was last week's message, Jesus approached Jericho. Just so you can get the idea. Jesus has left the, the northern part of, of Israel. He has come down to the southern part where the large city, Jerusalem, probably 100, some say maybe 500,000 people, but probably 100,000, between 100,000 and 500,000 people live there. In the rest of Israel, most of the smaller communities, especially up in the north where Jesus did much of His ministry in the area of Galilee, the Sea of Galilee, communities were 20 and 50 and 100. You know, we look at that today and we say, oh my, that's just a small community. That's what they were back then, okay? And then as you got closer to Jerusalem, they got a little bit bigger. And Jericho is bigger than 100 and 500. Some predict it may have had even as many 16,000. You know, I, I, nobody knows for sure. Archaeologists don't know for sure. But as you get closer to the metropolitan area, you know how that is. And so it's not a small city, and it wasn't an insignificant city. And Jesus, we learned, was entering Jericho, and he had an encounter with a blind man. Well, what we're going to learn today is that he's going through through Jericho. Okay? And the reason he is, is because Jericho is 15 to 20 miles from Jerusalem. Jesus is going to Jerusalem. He's going to go to the cross. Okay? And I would say that everything we read in the rest of Luke, from from Jericho on, everything we read in the rest of Luke should be extremely important to us because it is basically the last week 
of Jesus' life before He goes to the cross. For He dies for our sin. Believe me, we, take, we hear that big deal. We're going to get to that. We're going to talk about that. Before He faced ridicule because He stood for what God wanted. Because He faced slander and He faced attacks and He faced beatings. Because your sin and my sin held us captive. We couldn't get away from wrong behavior. And He went to the cross. and He died for our sins. And every person who looks to Him, the Bible says, finds forgiveness for their sins. And He laid in the grave, dead. Because that's what, death, that's what sin does. It kills us. One day, because God created us never to die, sin brought death. One day, we will die physically. But it kills us as we live life. It kills marriages. It kills families. It kills relationships. It kills us. It kills my well-being. It kills my good sleep. It kills us. And Jesus rose from the dead to say, listen, I want you to know I'm victorious over the ultimate death. And now as we read the New Testament... He can be victorious over these small battles that want to destroy us and kill us. So these words are going to be very important. Very important because He's going to share some of His last words before He goes to that cross. So look there in chapter 19, look at verse 1. It says, Jesus entered Jericho, made His way through the town. Because He's going to go through the town to go to Jerusalem. Okay, Verse 2, there was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. Now, let me stop for a minute. Let's think about Zacchaeus, okay? I already told you what... Somebody says, how do you know? How do we know anything about history? Now, listen, you've got to understand this, because when it comes to faith, people say you can't believe what we're told. But when we study human history, it's always based on the evidence of written history, okay? Because way back there in ancient history, they couldn't take pictures. We need to make room. Some of you connection men, women, I've got seats up here, need to make room. I've got two, four people. Please, come on guys. You drove a hammer, get off your bottom. I'm sorry to say that. I've asked God to make me be very kind this morning. I'm sitting down because I don't want my emotions to get into this. Thank you. I think we need to create two worship services. You think so, maybe? This is exciting. I'm glad you're here. Jesus is going through Jericho. He meets, and, and we are introduced to Zacchaeus. Now, let's think about him for a moment. Written history tells us he becomes a strong man of God, pastoring people, noted for that. But in this place, he's a tax collector. You've got to understand that. Now, now see, some of you have aversions to anybody who works for the IRS. Yeah, because you had an experience. Okay? And so, some of you know that. But his is even worse than the IRS. He worked for the Roman government. He's a Jew. The Romans would come into a nation, they would overcome the nation, and then they'd find some people who'd work for them amongst their own people, because they would have the insight, and they would tell those people, now, the nations we conquer have to pay tribute, or taxes, would be our modern term, 
to Rome. And so they, he would collect taxes for the Roman government. And the Roman government said this to people who did that. As long as you give us what we ask for, you can charge tax whatever you can get away with. As long as there's not a rebellion. Okay? So whatever you can get away with. And so he'd go out and he says, Roman government says you've got to give $1,000. And maybe the Roman government only went $250,000 or $250 or $500 or $750. He could keep anything above that. Okay? Now the Jews didn't understand all the work of the Roman government. They just knew tax collectors lived well. And they knew they weren't always honest. Zacchaeus would have been looked at as a crook. He would have been considered by his people. He's immoral. He, he's a bad guy. The Jewish population would have, would, have, would have just disliked him greatly. Some people would hate him. A tax collector was considered once one of the most hated people. A Roman tax collector who was a Jew who collected tax for Romans considered one of the most hated people in their society. You can read about that. You can study that. You can find out about that. Mike Davis is not creating Zacchaeus into something he isn't. What Mike Davis wants to do is get you out of that song about Zacchaeus. And all you remember, he's a little guy. He was a bad guy. Compared to today's people, Zacchaeus would be considered to Ariel Castro. Ariel Castro was the man in Cleveland that kidnapped those three ladies, kept them prisoners for a decade and raped them and killed their baby. Or babies. Those kinds of people, that kind of action makes us upset. That's the kind of guy Zacchaeus would be. Zacchaeus would have been compared to the guy who did that Ponzi scheme. You know, Bernie Madoff. You and I just heard about it. Probably wasn't affected. But those people built them out of took. $50 billion and it was life savings? Somebody took your life savings? You worked hard for? You know the hatred? You couldn't even stand to be in the same room with them? That's Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus would have been compared in our day to Jerry Sandusky. Remember him? He's the coach at Penn State University that finally was caught up for his compulsive behavior of child sex abuse. That's the kind of guy... You, see, you and I can't believe that because he's just a tax collector. But to the people of his society, he is terrible. He is terrible. And you know what's worse? Is, is that God reveals to us that Jesus is going to work in his life and he's the chief tax collector. That means he's a boss. That means, listen, he hires people for the Roman government, though they work under him. He hires people and he says, I want you to go out and I want you to be a crook and I want you to be immoral. I want you to be a bad dude. He proliferated his bad behavior. He didn't just do it. He was convincing people, you ought to do it also. Sort of like what we get. Sometimes, from people who do bad behavior. And in Jesus' day, He's a terrible guy. He's a bad dude. And you know what's sad? 
He's living better than anybody else. He's getting everything he wants. He's rich. That's what Luke tells us. Do you know Luke went to Jericho? He would have had to go to Jericho, talk to people about this, maybe even talk to Zacchaeus. He's a rich man. He can eat the finest foods. He can have the best furniture. He can have vacation homes. When people crowd on him, they don't want to be around him. Big deal. He can buy his company. He can buy his sense of happiness. See, this guy, bad dude, able to go on and live in life, looking as if everything's okay. Now look at verse 3. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. In other words, remember, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. Yeah, you remember that? Sad thing is, that's all we remember about Zacchaeus. You talk about Zacchaeus, everybody says, short guy. He's a bad dude guy. And he hears Jesus is coming through. Okay? So what's he do? Verse 4 says, he can't see over the crowd. He's short. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road for Jesus was going to pass that way. Apparently now, Jesus has, not apparently, we know Jesus has been doing ministry for basically three years, and apparently Zacchaeus has heard about him, just like the blind man, don't have time to go preach that sermon last week, just like the blind man, okay? And so Jesus coming down the road, Jesus is front page of the tabloids at the supermarket. Okay? Because most of you don't read the, the local paper or the post-dispatch, you young folks maybe. But the tabloids, you always stop and look, don't you? Yeah, we know, we know aliens have land here. Tabloids have said that. We know there's babies with two heads living in this world. Tabloids have said that. We know a man has had a baby. Tabloids have said that. It's all kept secret, though. Okay, we know that's true. See, this, he knows about Jesus. Jesus, I mean, what Jesus says and what Jesus does has changed people. And so he's heard about Jesus. And so he thinks to himself, how can I get to see Jesus? Because you see, the crowd of people along the line, he's just got to find his place and he came too late. And so what's he do? And it's got, it's got to look sort of strange because it's, it's, it's like he's in his suit. Though they wouldn't have a suit, he's in his robe. And this little man says to himself, what can I do so I can see Jesus? And he runs to a tree and he climbs up the tree. Got to look a bit unusual. Now, I'm not concerned whether they saw him do that. Most folks probably trying to find out Jesus. But I want you to see, he looks unusual. And I'm going to tell you this. Sometimes, for you and I to get a glimpse of what Christ wants in our life, we don't fit in with other people who won't, don't want that glimpse. We do what's unusual. In the minds of other people. Sometimes coming to where Jesus wants us to come means we look a bit unusual. Well, it goes on. Look at verse 5. When Jesus came by, He looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Now that's important. I, I can't pass that. And see, when you read this, nowhere in the song does it say Jesus called him by name. This is important that we understand Jesus is always calling to individuals by name. I want you to know, if your name's Mike, that's my name, He calls you by your name. If your name's Ben, or, 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 or Mary, or 
you know, I'm trying to think real quick of some people's names. He calls you by name. He always does. He called me when I was 13 by name and He says, I want you to come to Christ in faith as Savior. No way at 13 years old I understood all that that meant. No way I could explain to you that Jesus born of a virgin. What even? Well, 13 I could understand what a virgin was. But no way I could understand His ministry all that greatly. I had no parents that went to church with me. Okay? But I know He called me by name and said, I want you to come to Christ, to Jesus as Lord. At the er eight, in my early 20s, He called me by name and He said, Mike, I want you, I want you to follow Jesus more closely as Lord. I know. I can tell you where I was. I don't have time because I want to get on with the sermon. I can tell you some of the experiences in that calling and He wasn't talking to anybody but me. And he said, I want you, I want you to follow me more closely, Mike. Or follow Jesus more closely as Lord. And in 2007, he called me by name and he said, I want you to be a part of Starting Connection. If you would have been with us at the airport, there was in that early days when that decision came. Because when we started, I didn't think I was supposed to be a part of this. And people who were there with us, 35 people those first few weeks, couple months, and then we grew to 65. If you remember, I stood there and I said, now I'm not going to be the pastor of Connection. I'm a flying anointment in the ointment here in Mount Vernon. That's what people will say. And then God moved. And if you were there, you heard all this story. See, God called me by name. I can tell you where I was. I told the people there where I was. I told them the date. I told them the time on my watch. Everything. When He says, this is where you're to be to be a part of Starting Connection. Now, I'm not trying to press you. I'm telling you, He calls you by name. The thing is, you either have forgot those times and you forget that you have that kind of intimacy. Jesus loves you that much and He says, okay, today's the day, Mike. We're going to change today. Your life. And some of you, you're not looking for that anymore. But He calls us by name. To be a part of, of what He is doing. And He's calling to you today. About what? Too many people for me to be able to hit every area. So I've got to stay with the Scriptures. So look, verse 5 goes on. Zacchaeus, he said, come down. Quick, quick. Don't hesitate. You've got to remember that when He calls you. Quick. Because Satan will use whatever he can to get you not to do quick when he speaks to your mind. Quick, quick, come on! Where he wants you. Because you give Satan any opportunity and he'll pull you away from where Jesus is calling you. Quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Now, Jesus does this in public. I want you to understand this. He is doing this in public. This isn't behind the scene. This is out in the open. Everyone in the crowd is watching. What? They're all there. There's so many Zacchaeus couldn't just go down to the end of the line to see Jesus. He had to climb up in the tree. There are loads of people. Again, I'm going to use Matt's statement. Jesus is a rock star. And you know, you get too late for a concert for the rock star, you're 10,000 or 5,000 or 2,000 people behind everybody, and you say, I wish I'd come a little bit earlier so I could have been closer. And Zacchaeus, he was late, and so now, when Jesus goes to him, everybody's watching, Jesus looks at him up in that tree, says, quick, come on down. Don't wait, don't think about it, come on, this is what I'm calling you, come on down. That's all he had to do. 
He didn't have to worry about that night. He didn't have to worry about next week. Just what was it that moment, that instant, that he was supposed to do in regard to his relationship with Jesus. Jesus was not ashamed to be related to bad people. He was not ashamed to do that. He did this in public. To a bad dude. One of the most hated people in his culture. In Jericho, it would not be popular to relate to Zacchaeus. And yet, Jesus does. Relating to a guy like Zacchaeus would cause others to look down on you. And it would cause others to begin saying things. And what does Jesus say to him? Jesus says, hey Zacchaeus, quick, come on down. I want to come to your house and I want to eat with you. And you know what? When you see people eating, you begin to assume they must be friends. Jesus was coming to this guy, bad dude, saying, hey, I want to be your friend. And I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know how hard you've tried to keep it together. And you're wondering about yourself. Jesus calls you by name and says, I want to be your friend. That's what he's doing with Zacchaeus. A famous good man, Jesus, is telling a famous bad man, Zacchaeus, that he'd like to come to his house and be friends. Look on the screen. Look what we're told in the book of Revelation. If you've been in church, you've heard this verse. It's written to Christians. It's not written. Most people use this verse to talk to people who do not know Jesus. This verse was written to Christians. It was Jesus trying to tell Christians because Christians get to the place that pretty soon they decide what God wants instead of listening to what God wants. Jesus says, look, Christian, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. That's from the New Living Translation. That's what I read out of. You see, I've got to be careful. Sometimes in my relationship with Laura, I want to get so beside myself. Or my relationship, I, I've got gobs of people. I'm the baby of 12 living children. Sometimes in those relationships, those families, I, I want to get my feelings to take charge. And I'm not willing to be what Jesus wants me to be. And He calls me by name. And see, He's saying, Mike, now come on. I'm calling you by name because I've got to come into your life. I want to sit down with you and I want to just digest. I want you to digest some things with me about what God is doing and wants to do. I want to be your friend because right now you don't feel like I am. You see, others might give up on you, but I want you to understand this. Jesus doesn't give up on you. That's what He says here. And some of us are Christians and we can't understand why we don't feel so close at times. Because you see, we don't hear Him calling us and we don't sit down with Him and we just won't eat His food. I'm telling you, Jesus does not give up on you. And He's calling your name. Look at your worship handout. Look at the first blank. It doesn't matter what someone... Look what it says. It doesn't matter what someone has done. Jesus is always calling individuals by name to impact their lives and be their friend. 
Today, is He calling your name? This is such a precious moment right now, folks. Because you see, He may heal in you something that's been sitting there for years. And because you chose today to sit in this very dangerous place and expose yourself to God's Word, there may be some dad that Jesus is calling by name and you're to go home and pick up your phone. And you're to call that child who for months or years there's been animosity, there's been discomfort in your relationship. You need to say, son, I'm sorry it's taken me so long to tell you I love you. If we need to talk, let's talk, but let's move on as God would want. I don't know what he's calling you for. Doesn't matter what you've done. Jesus is always calling individuals by name. That's why you've come to church and your pastor's always pleading with you about Jesus. Well, look at verse 6 in Luke. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. And it was Zacchaeus' response was, Yes, yes, come to my house. This is great. I haven't had anybody like you. Man, everybody thinks you're holy. You're of God. I'm not a bad dude. Yeah, bad people don't think they're bad. That's why we need to rebuke bad people. We need to hold bad people accountable. See, anybody who thinks I'm saying we don't, you missed chapter 17. But Zacchaeus is all excited. Yeah, come, come. Be with me. Why? Because you see, he's a Jew. And he knows what the blind man knew. Jesus is called the Son of David. Jesus is the coming King that is going to spare the Jews. Zacchaeus doesn't necessarily like the Romans. Now, we don't know that, but as a Jew, he wouldn't. He just knows this is the Messiah. At least this is what people say. So he's saying, come on over. Yeah, come on over. But there is another response when Zacchaeus says, yes, come. Hmm. You see, there's two responses here. And there's another response. Would you say to Jesus, yes, I hear you call my name. Let's you and I sit down and let's have a meal together. Let's digest God's Word. Let's see what can happen. That's one response. I hope you never read this story the same. It's not about a small guy. It's about a bad guy. Look with me. Verse 7. Now I tell you to underline, you ought to underline entire verse 7. It is loaded with important information. When you read this story, verse 7 is the story. If you've got your, your app open, you ought to make note. Verse 7. Now look what it says. But the people were displeased. He, Jesus, had gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner. They grumbled. And isn't this how it always happens? They get other, get together with others and they talk. You know what Jesus has done? He's gone to be with. Luke's words to let us know the seriousness is 
a notorious. This man's reputation is he is bad. You don't want to be in this man's house. He's bad. You don't want to be seen with this man. He's bad. And Jesus is going to his house. And you know, they would call it being respectful and being responsible. What's God call it here in His Word? Grumbling. That's what God calls it. Grumbling. And that's the response often that's given toward people when they try to show grace and mercy to others who have done bad things. People grumble. People grumble. They grumble about the pastor. I've been in the ministry 40 years. They grumble. I don't like his leadership. Look, I've said this a hundred times in six years with Connection. People, when, when, when they grumble, when somebody shows kindness to your ex-mate, you don't understand how bad my ex-mate was. See, that's what you grumble. And I keep talking about that. Because if you've got children with your ex-mate, you've got to get together. Your kids inherit. You're grumbling. See, I'm not adding that just for this sermon. That's what I always say. I'm not saying anything that I haven't said for six years to connection. People grumble. Families. Families who have something that hurts them. When somebody is kind to that person who hurts them, they grumble. They say, you don't know how it's devastated us. Sometimes I don't, and others don't. But you've got to remember, Jesus is going to come to you and call you by name. He's going to say, let's talk about this. You see, we get to the place, if we move to grumbling, Jesus went to be with a notorious sinner. If we get to see people who seek to live and love like Jesus, Matt says we exist. Become friends with all people. All. Not some. All. As we live in love like Jesus, Matt said. We've got to be careful. If we get to the place that we forget the power of God. If we get to the place that we forget that God has changed bad individuals. We forget that God will forgive. And God will transform. And instead of hoping for the possibility, what we end up doing, instead of seeing any possibility of transformation, we move to grumbling. And in the beginning of my sermon, I said, be careful, it's a bad place, dangerous place to get. Your, your, your mind, your day, your night, your attitude will become ugly. Look at the next blank on your message, man. I have a question. Who if God forgave them? would cause you to grumble. Someone who ripped you off? Abandoned you? Abused you? Betrayed you? Cheated on you? Divorced you? Hurt your family member? Hit you? Lied about you? Or fired you? I wrote this sermon a month ago. I tried to hit everything that I could get in there. If God forgave them, who is it? If God forgave him, would cause you to grumble. 
No way, God. You can't let my dad off the hook. He abandoned me. Stayed in the home, but had nothing to do with me. Or maybe he left your home. He just abandoned me. No way. He's trying to call me now. I'm an adult. He's older. He's sorry. No way. Would you grumble if God forgave him for being a bad dad in the past? Would you believe in the power of God to change a bad dad? See, we're given a living illustration that God can change people. Look at verse 8. It says, Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord. I'm going to tell you, all of us will stand before the Lord. The Bible says that in other places. All of us will stand before the Lord and we will give account for our actions and our reactions. You can be sure of that. Don't kid yourself. You, are, you will be accountable for your actions and your reactions, whether they are just thought or whether they are demonstrated. Look on the screen. Colossians 3.12 We're told a Christian's responsibility. Paul wrote this. Since God chose you to be the holy people He loves. In other words, this is to Christians, see? You must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, Humility, gentleness, and patience. Verse 13, he says, Make allowances for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you. So you must forgive others. Folks, that's not a question. That's a have to. That's hard. Don't you try to force somebody to do that in a day, in a week, in a month. You give time for God to work. You're not to be the Holy Spirit. I am not the Holy Spirit. Sometimes the best thing you can do is just don't respond. Be quiet! But I'm telling you now, you and God, Jesus calling your name now to that verse. That's between you and Him. Look at the next verse. That's Paul's words. These are Jesus' words. This is a serious choice Jesus gives in Matthew, the 6th chapter. I took this from the Message Bible. You can read it out of whatever, King James, whatever. I'm just trying to get it out of translations and make it a lot easier to understand. Look at the choice. There in verse 14, there is a connection between what God does and what you do. You see, the question is always, what am I to do? The answer is always, what would Jesus do? I'm sorry. WWJD, that's an old fad. I've said that to many of you in many different areas. You know, what would Jesus do? I know we don't like to hear that. It's not a, our question is, what do I do? Look what happened. What do I do? What would Jesus do? See, there is a connection between what God does and what you do. You can't. Look what he says. You can't get forgiveness from God, for instance, without, without also forgiving others. That's a serious choice to refuse to forgive. I'm telling you. Not because I said it. Don't, please, don't shoot the mail carrier. Don't hate the guy who just is responsible for calling attention. And there's no way a year and a half ago I knew that we were going to be at this place in Luke. 
He says you can't get forgiveness from God, for instance, without also forgiving others. Verse 15, if you refuse to do your part, look what he says, God doesn't. You cut yourself off from God's part. And you know that. You feel that. You can't find His peace, His contentment. You can't sleep well. You can't eat well. You can't, you can't relate well. This is why I'm telling you, this, these verses are so important for all of our Christian life. This is why some people can't really connect with God. They'll come to connection. They'll like... Paul talked about it. They'll like these sweet things that Mike might say for them. And they'll hang out until it becomes deep truths to transform them. And then they don't come anymore. And they really can't connect with God. And forgiveness is one of the hardest things. One of the deepest truths for human beings. Look back at Luke 19, verse 8. Okay? It says, Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord, and he said, look what he says, I will give half my wealth to the poor Lord, and if I have cheated people of their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Four times as much. In other words, transformation is taking place. We wish we could know everything was said. The important thing is that Luke helps us understand transformation has taken place in Zacchaeus' life. The Bible calls this being born again. That's not a religious term that some denomination or some preacher created. That's the word Jesus used, term Jesus used. This is called born again. You become a new person. Zacchaeus has become a new person. The evidence of the transformation in Zacchaeus' life is what we see in his actions. They are a reverse of what he did before. Look, before Jesus called his name, Zacchaeus did the wrong thing. After Jesus calls his name, Zacchaeus is seeking to do the right thing. That's the transformation that the Scriptures is telling us. The Holy Spirit calls us to change. There's not one of us that doesn't have to be called from time to time to change. Not one of us. Not one of us. And the evidence of the transformation is demonstrated through our actions. Look at the last blank on your message map. If you follow the Holy Spirit's leading, you will give evidence of the transformation by the things you begin and continue doing. This is true for all of us. Look at, look at verse 9 in Luke. Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today. See, Jesus is telling that the transformation has taken place. It's evidenced through the actions of Zacchaeus' words. He hadn't done anything yet. Jesus tells us that Zacchaeus has an eternal relationship with God. See, he says, Salvation come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. You see, even Paul had to say not all Jews are true sons of Abraham. Matter of fact, he said, the true sons of Abraham are those who listen to Jesus Christ and follow Him. That's what he said. I know, this world... I'm one of those people that says it's not wrapped up in the Jews, it's wrapped up in God's people. You've got to read the rest of the New Testament. God's people are those who Jesus is Lord and they follow Him. 
And Jesus says, today, you show yourself to be of that seed of faith that Abraham knew. His actions demonstrate it. He's one of God's. And verse 10 says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. And let me just say, that's what Jesus does. That's why if you go to church, and it's healthy, it's always talking to you and me about the areas we're lost in. Oh, please, there ought to be times when we read of the victorious experiences that we can say, yes, yes, that's me. Thank you, Lord, I've experienced that. But most often, because this world is broken and it's always wanting to beat you down. It's wanting to tell you you can't come back. It's wanting to tell you you can't do it. It wants to tell you you failed too many times. It wants to tell you you have no opportunity to be what you know God wants you to be. What you would hope for. Jesus came to seek a person lost in that. Jesus are looking for people who have lost in the life experiences because of situations that have come into their life, whether they have done it or someone else has done it. And we know we're lost. That's what He's come for. And if you remember, there was a time that some people looked Him right in the eye they said, we don't need what you've got to offer. And Jesus said, a physician can't help people who don't see they're sick. I've come to those who know they're sick. And you know, so do I when it's there. And I'm so grateful. He doesn't quit calling my name. And He doesn't quit calling yours. So I ask you again, today, is He calling your name? What are you going to do about it? Your actions, your words, will demonstrate what you're going to do. We got the bags for, thank you. Thank you. In each bag, there's $133.50. I appreciate you all giving. Let me say this. I'd like to ask, hey, Jess Mays, would you come and give one of these, take one of these bags? Can you get up and do that? Jeremy, you've got to come and get it for her. Oh, yeah, bring that young baby here. Okay? There you go. Half sheet of paper just helps you understand. What is that baby's name? Genesis. Genesis. Genesis? Genesis? Did I say that correctly? Yes. Okay, good deal. You just follow it. Hey, Jeff Staley, will you come and do this? I appreciate you. If I ever call your name and you don't want to, just go like that. Okay? I, I normally don't call last names. I usually just call first names, I think. But we're getting too many people now. Three of you get up and only got two bags. Okay? Hey, let's, let's have prayer and then we're finished, okay? Let's bow together. Father, I thank You for this time. I thank You for Your Word. Help us, God. May people love people who struggle with living everything You say. May people be kind to people. 
who are just seeking to find their way. May people, and God, when I say that, I'm talking about all of us. May we just give you time and give you the right to be our Lord. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.